Good morning. Today is Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. How are we to understand how pervasive the entire subject of Yetzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, is in our Judaism? Every day, every Jew encounters it and deals with it in multiple ways. Besides Pesach, the holiday of Passover, obviously, there is no other event that gets this much attention, including creation of the world, the exodus from Sinai, the conquest of Israel, Nothing else gets this kind of attention. It is in our daily prayers several times. It's in the benching, Birkat Amazon, that we say after every meal. Every single holiday relates to Pesach, Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. Every Shabbos, we make mention of the exodus from Egypt and many mitzvahs that come throughout the entire year. The mitzvah mezuzah, tefillin, Pigyan Aben, Redemption of the Firstborn, and on and on and on. One could almost call Judaism the religion of Exodus. Why? So here's an approach I'd like to share with you. I ask that we consider this, and I ask that we try to integrate this into our lives. There is a central question each of us faces about God, the nature of God. Of course, God exists forever, since way before creation. Woody Allen once said he wished he could be more clear in his belief in God. If only God would give me some clear sign like making a large deposit in my bank account. The question is, is God aware of us? Is God involved in our lives? Does God really see me? Does he care about me, Michael, as an individual? Does he react to each of us? Or is God just busy with the big stuff? Let's start with this passage. Perhaps the most famous passage in the world when God introduces God to the Jewish people and to all humanity for the first time and for all time, the Aserah Sedibros, the Ten Commandments, which begins with these words. I'm sorry, made a mistake. God spoke all of these words saying, I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. This is how God describes God. I took you out of Egypt. Let's ask two questions. Number one, the context of this passage is that God is speaking to the entire Jewish people at Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. God is about to reveal 
the Aseras Adibras, the Ten Commandments. This is the, the uh, prologue to the Ten Commandments. If God is speaking to an entire group, why are the words addressed in the singular and not in the plural? Anochi Hashem Elokecha, your God singular, speaking to an individual. God was speaking to a very large group. Why isn't it Elokechem, your God plural? Asher Sicha, who took you single, singular, individually out of Egypt. Why not? Who took all of you? God took all of the Jewish people out of Egypt. That's question number one. Question number two, why is this the way that God chooses to describe God? Why doesn't God say, Anoche Hashem Elokecha, Asher Barasi Shamayim Varetz, I am God who created heaven and earth. Isn't the creation of heaven and earth more fundamental, more central to God's essence? I mean, whatever importance the exodus from Egypt is, and I don't mean to denigrate it in any way, but it is a specific event in a specific time. Yes, of course, it has lasting reverberations and significance, but, but, but the creation of the world started the whole thing? I mean, that's really the whole ballgame right there. So there's several answers to this question. I've shared some of them before. I want to share this answer, and it is partially based on the writing of the Ramban, Nachmanides. <clears throat> there are two types of creation. For example, to use human examples for a moment, I can create a chair. I can make a chair. Now, when I finish making, creating this object, I have no further connection to it. That chair exists without me. I may have no plan for what will happen to it. It doesn't need me or my involvement after I create it. That's one type of creation. Then there's a second type of creation. Again, to use a human example, I can create a facial expression. I can smile. This type of creation is qualitatively different in that it requires my ongoing will, my ongoing act of creating it in order to exist, because as soon as I stop creating it, it no longer exists. The smile is only a smile as long as I continue to make it. Once I stop making it, it no longer exists. Two types of creation. Bereshis Baralakim, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. When God created the world, what kind of creation did God make? Did God make the kind of creation like if it was a human example, like a chair? Or did God create in the manner like creating a smile? That's a question. And that question is unanswered until the exodus from Egypt. Listen to how the Torah itself describes the exodus from Egypt, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, almost 40 years later. This is in the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Devarim. Moshe is recalling for the Jewish people this central, formative event in their history, the exodus from Egypt. And the Torah says as follows. Moshe says to the people, 
when you will ask about the times before. When you'll ask about what happened in your history and you will consider the things that have happened to you. Did it ever happen? Now this is going to be Moshe's description at this moment of the narrative of the events of the exit from Egypt. Did it ever happen? Hanisa Elokim Lavo Lakachas Lo Goy Mikerav Goy? Did it ever happen in human history that God descended into history to pluck one nation out from another nation? Right? To take the Jewish people out of Egypt? with signs and wonders and battles and a strong arm and an, a strong hand and an outstretched arm with great, great miracles. Like God did for, for you in taking you out of Egypt. Now, that's an interesting way to put it because the emphasis here is on the fact that the exodus from Egypt is where God openly and publicly descends into and redirects history. Where God discerns and distinguishes between one person and another. So this then becomes the answer to the question of creation. And we express this in our daily prayers. We say God is, we say this every morning, the one who, God renews at every moment the act of creation. The type of creation that God created the world is that second type, like a human being would create a smile, where it requires ongoing involvement, ongoing will to create, that is able to discern because it descends into the world, into history, not distant, not away from it, like I made the chair and then I, I, I go away from it. No, God remains involved and responsive to every single aspect of creation, every single person, because it's only with God's ongoing creation that the whole thing exists today. God's Contact with each of us and with history is ongoing. God is involved in our lives. History is a reflection, somehow, of God's plan. There is no such thing as coincidence because God is involved at every single moment. And therefore, God introduces God to us as I am God, your God. I took you out, meaning I chose this person instead of that person. I distinguished between that home and not that home. And that's the reason God introduces himself in this manner because this is what will tell us what it means to call God creator of heaven and earth. This is what completes the definition of what God is. It is the best way.
to describe the actual nature of God as creator. And notice, please, that, for example, when we say Kiddush on Friday night on Shabbos, which celebrates the creation of the world, right? That, that celebrates and, and commemorates that God rested on the seventh day and we rest on the seventh day. But that Kiddush prayer also mentions Zecher Lietzias Mitzrayim. It is a recollection of the exodus from Egypt because one explains the other. We can only understand the creation of the world, Zecher Lamaise Bereshis, a recollection of the creation of the world. We can only understand what that means in light of Zecher Lietzias Mitzrayim, remembering the exodus from Egypt. That is what completes the definition. And that is why it is written in the singular, addressed to each separate individual. Listen, please, to the words of the Ramban. The Ramban says, why is it written in the singular? Lahazhir, to warn. He call Yachid that every single individual, Yionesh, will be held responsible, accountable, al mitzvos for every commandment that God commands. Because God spoke to each one of us, of the Jewish people at Sinai, God spoke to each one of us individually. And to each one of us individually did God command the commandments. God has a direct, ongoing, unique, personal relationship with every single one of us. God hears and responds and speaks to every one of us even if we don't recognize it all the time. And this explains a curious fact. The name of the holiday that celebrates the exodus from Egypt. Well, what should we call this holiday? I'll give you an example, a suggestion. Chag HaYetziah the holiday of Exodus. To me, that makes perfect sense. That's what it's about, leaving Egypt. Chag HaCherus, the holiday of liberation. That's what it's about. They were slaves. Now they're liberated. Why in the world do we call this holiday Chag HaPesach, the holiday of Passover? So here's the answer that the Torah gives explicitly in our Torah portion. The Torah says, in getting the Jewish people ready to leave, that they should place uh, blood on the doorpost of their home, of every Jewish home. And the dam, the blood on the doorpost, of course, this is the forerunner the, uh, of our mezuzah, but this is the, the where, where it comes from. The, the blood on the doorpost will be a sign al-habatim on each home where the Jews are living, asher atem sham, where you're living, v'ra'isi es adam, God says, I will see the sign on the doorpost, upasachti alechem, and I will pass over, I will jump over, skip over. Remember, there's a plague going on that is, that, that is targeting the firstborn, there's terrible death and destruction and trauma going on. But if you put this sign, I'm going to skip over. I'm going to pass over your home and you're going to be okay and you'll be able to leave and go and, 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 and leave uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, leave Egypt. 
And there will be nothing bad that will happen to you, even though all around you there is this terrible plague going on, but I will skip over your home. <clears throat> Further in our Torah portion, the Parsha of Bo this week, <clears throat> there's a commandment that they should offer an offering. <clears throat> and they should remember this narrative. And it will be one day when your children will say to you, what is all this that we're doing? What is this uh, Passover ritual that we're performing? You shall say to them, this, the offering is an offering of Pesach, of skipping over for God. That God passed over, jumped over the houses of the Jews in Egypt while the rest of Egypt was being smitten by this plague. But our homes, God protected, God saved. That's what you should say. i got to tell you, to me, at first glance, it does seem a little bit like a minor detail. I mean, yes, okay. <laughs> okay, so if you're going to save the Jews and, and, and punish the Egyptians, so you have to skip over one house to get to the right one and not go to the wrong one. Okay, I understand that. But the skipping part, the jumping over part, does seem like a rather minor detail just to get to the point that the Jewish people left Egypt. Why don't we call it the, the holiday of the Jewish people leaving Egypt? This skipping and jumping is just part of the preliminary of how you decide who's going and who's not going. But no. The essence of this holiday of Pesach, the essence of the experience of going out of Egypt, is to see God as discerning, distinguishing. This house is punished. This house is saved. One, not the other. God making an individual determination because God is there. God is involved. God has descended into history. God is looking at every single individual as an individual and deciding what their fate will be. The holiday of Passover, Pesach, the jumping, the skipping is the essence of what we learned about God as creator. This is how we know what God is. We see this in a very harsh and tragic way in the tenth plague itself. Makas Bechoros the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians, a terrible, horrible, traumatic event. So it's the tenth plague. Clearly, it's the most harsh, taking the most lives. I mean, just try for a moment, and we're going to reflect, reflect on this later in the week, just from a human point of view, what it means every single family, the firstborn dies. But it is also... And we're going to discuss this also this week. The, the, the Makos, the ten plagues, are also meant to have increasing levels, not only of severity, but also significance in what they teach. Because the, the meaning of the plagues exists on several different levels. We're going to discuss this this week. Why is this plague 
the, about the firstborn, the tenth, the ultimate, the last plague? Yes, because it's the most serious, severe, punishing, but also because it is the plague that completes the description of God as creator, who is God. Now we know God is the one who discerns between one and the other. There's a fascinating statement in the Talmud. The Talmud asks the question, okay, it's a little Talmudic, it's a little technical. Which firstborn are we talking about? Are we talking about the firstborn of the mother or the firstborn of the father? The Talmud says both. A person who was either the firstborn of a mother, of their mother, or the firstborn of their father was killed that night. Now here's what's interesting about that. Firstborn of the mother, there are no surprises. In general, I mean, there could be exceptions, but in general, a person knows who their mother is because they were born from them. They're witnesses. They're people that see it. Firstborn from the father, who's going to know? Our rabbis in the Medrash tell us there were a lot of surprises that night. There were people who did not know that they were the firstborn, perhaps, of somebody else. A lot of surprises that night. But how could that happen? It could only happen by God. Because God is the only one who knows what is secret to every other human being. And that's why it's the last plague. Because it completes the definition. God is the one who can discern between one person and another their identity, their accountability, their potential, etc. Judaism is a religion of exodus. Because Exodus provides us with our most basic understanding of God. Every prayer, every mitzvah, every day we recall Exodus to reinforce this message. Many years ago, I had the privilege to hear Eli Wiesel in person. It was in New Orleans, Louisiana. It was 1987. And he told the following story. There are two diners in a restaurant, each one sitting at their own table. One of them says to the waiter, could you please turn on the air conditioning? It's very hot in here. Five minutes later, the same diner says to the waiter, now I'm too cold. Could you please turn it off? And the other diner is watching.